are amazing. Y'all, y'all did your thing, every one of you. All right, we are still in our Ephesians series. Um, we're in, we're in chapter four. We're actually going to finish chapter four in Jesus' name today. It's going to be very exciting, uh, which is good because next week is our Christmas Eve service. Uh, so not, not Christmas service. We will be, I'll be home and the doors will be locked. You know, they say locks only keep honest people out. So if you want to come worship, we have ADT. Um, Uh, but for, uh, please come join us for the candlelit service. Um, we're going to worship. We're going to talk about Jesus. And uh, who he is. You know, uh, I think uh, I'll see things far too often uh, where people will, will say things uh, like they'll, they'll act like Jesus and, and God, the Father, are somehow different. Um, which is a distinctly non-Christian belief. Um, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And all the love that you see irradiating from Jesus is the same love that is in the Father. And we're going to talk about that uh, next week on Saturday. So don't miss it. Don't come on Sunday. Aaron, look at me. Don't come on Sunday, right? <laughs> look me in the eyes. That's fine. That's fine. Let me pray for the building. Uh, so if you remember, uh, we, we've been going through Ephesians. We're in chapter 4. Uh, Paul has shifted uh, his perspective. Uh, he has shifted from being theological into, uh, after the beginning of chapter 4, he shifts from being like, now that I've like taught all of this doctrine... It's time to start applying it. And so when we go through this book, we are now in the application section of the book of Ephesians. Uh, and the reason why I, I warn about that is um, when he's teaching theology, it's really, it's really easy to get hyped about it. Because you can really take it in any direction. Be like, look, you're, the, you're identified by God. You are a saint. You are a part of the, the building, a part of the temple of the Lord, and God chose you, and he called you, and he has, a, he, has a, he has a great calling for your life. We get to talk about all that stuff. And then now Paul's in the place where he goes, now if all that's true, you're going to act right, right? And so we're in that now. If all that's true, you're going to act right, right? Uh, section of scripture. Uh, like, here's the thing, and this is the, the thing. When you look at Jesus Christ, um, Jesus Christ, he didn't uh, lower the bar of sin. And he didn't lower the bar of salvation. He, he rose the bar. And I think that's something really important to understand is Jesus made it easier to enter into the kingdom, but he made it harder to live like the kingdom. And here's why I say that. If you go to the Beatitudes, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus starts saying things like, you've heard it said, if you commit murder, You've sinned, but I say if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, it's as if you've committed murder. And so, see, the thing is, it's real easy to change an outside appearance. But when Jesus came onto the scene, he made it quite clear, this, is a, this will be an inward change that will eventually overflow to the outside. And so when Paul begins to talk about these things that we're going to talk about today, the question is, ask and the question permeates through this book and through scripture it is it is what's on the inside of you 
What are you making room for in your life? Um, if you've been here long enough, you know I am a firm believer that Jesus Christ is enough. You know that I'm a firm believer uh, that if any demon or spirit or anything tries to get in your way or get into your life, Jesus Christ is the answer. You also know I'm a firm believer that most of the time when we blame things on the devil, uh, that's just because you wanted to sin, right? The Bible says the sin begins in the heart of man. Uh, God, the devil, uh, pastor, the devil keeps making me get angry at my wife. And it's like, no, <laughs> he does not. Uh, we have hearts that are angry. And that's, that's, that's not even Satan's fault, right? He's reaping all the benefits from it. He's using it, sure, to manipulate you in ways, but the sin was here. The anger, the addiction, the jealousy was here. And that's why the law was never going to be enough. Because it, it, it fixed how men acted, but it never fixed the fundamental issue, which was that my heart was desperately wicked. Right? But then Jesus came. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit enters into us, comes alive in us. And begins to change our heart. It begins to soften our heart. He begins to tenderize it. That's why you'll see people in a church service weeping during worship. Because God's doing something that's tender. Now, I'm not saying you should cry every worship set. But I'm saying that if you're incapable of crying in worship, maybe God needs to work on a hardened heart. Right? Something I've learned consistently the closer you get to God, the, the more raw the feelings and the emotions and the tears are. Um, but I'm going to take us through Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32. And I want us to keep all this in mind, everything I said, because it is relevant, because it's what Paul is leading us into. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians 4, verse 25, and we're going to read all the way to 32. If you do not have your Bible, don't worry, I brought one. I brought two of them. They're on the screen for you. Deacon Chad's making sure the pages turn perfectly. Well, you know, as perfect as he can, because I'm kind of sporadic, and sometimes I stop, and sometimes I want to continue, and it's like, how do I keep up with him? And you don't. Uh, therefore, what's the rule of therefores? You see it, therefore, you need to stop long enough to say what it's there for. Uh, right? Uh, the terrible thing about the Bible is when it was translated in English, you can look at some certain sentences, and you can be like, wow, that's fire. And then if you don't look at the therefore, you can start applying it in really weird ways in your life. Like the old joke where the guy's trying to open the pickle jar. And he's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that verse is about being able to survive when you're poor. right? Like you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Uh, but it's not about the pickle jar. I'm sure God will help you open the pickle jar though. Um, therefore, now this therefore, listen to last week's message. Uh, two weeks ago's message. Where we talked about the therefore. And then we talked about the therefore and therefore, because this chapter has four therefores. Because Paul's like, therefore and therefore and therefore and therefore. Uh, so this really is like a series within a series. And that's chapter four. Uh, so therefore, and again, the therefore is Paul talking about the unification of the body. So therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another be angry and do not sin it's just a weird verse uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil what are you making room for let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor now the thief isn't the devil here 
The thief is the people. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. This one's hard for me. I make dumb jokes all the time. It's like I read this verse and I'm just like. Yeah, back, back in the day uh, when me and Pastor Thomas and a few of our friends were trying to stop talking really dumb. Uh, we would actually, if one of us said something stupid or cussed or anything like that, the other ones would look and be like, Ephesians 4. Because this section of scripture really got me on the straight and narrow. Uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as fits, okay, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Can I pause and tell you why it says as fits for the occasion? Because uh, sometimes someone doesn't need an encouraging word if what they're doing is bad. So as fits the occasion. If someone gives you a prophetic word and it's just wrong, you don't encourage it. That doesn't fit the occasion, right? <laughs> if someone tries to teach something that isn't true or is not biblical... You, you don't be like, well, at least you tried. It doesn't fit the occasion. There's a different conversation. You can turn it into something encouraging, but the encouragement shouldn't be, yes, awesome. Facebook's the worst because people get out it all the time. Someone will post something particularly ignorant, and then, like, people I know will like it, and it's like, as fits the occasion. Um, <laughs> this is not one of those occasions. You go, girl. No, don't. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't you dare. All right, uh, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not a power. Honestly, he's not even a the. He's a he. He's not the female part of God. He's a he. It's a neuter noun. Go to the Old Testament. He's a he every time. We get some weird stuff with Greek. He's a he. Sorry, it's okay. I forgive me. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The reason why this bugs me is people will say that the Holy Spirit is the female counterpart to God. And so then what they, they decide is that means that the Father isn't loving and he's not intimate with you and he's not nurturing of you. And so I just think that's a heresy because what it teaches us is, well, this is the loving part. So I really need to go to the Holy Spirit and say, because God's just going to be mad at me. And it's like, and then you produce within the Trinity like, I'm going to go talk to mom because dad said no. And I just think that's atrocious because they're one. Right? And so there, there is there's just God. And I, honestly, there are aspects of God that maybe are feminine by traditional sense of what femininity means. But God is God. Right? Cool. Uh, that's not even part of the sermon. I just thought we'd talk about it for a second. Uh, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed. You know, that means that you can't accidentally trip and fall and you're not saved anymore because you're sealed by God. Uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. So clamor just means fighting. I didn't know what that meant. I was like clamor. Like I think of like loud things clanging and turns out it's like punching someone in the face. Uh, so don't punch someone in the face. And slander be put away from you along with malice. I think, I think he forgot. He's like, put away, oh, and malice. Uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Uh, that word for tenderhearted actually is that same word when the Bible says that Jesus had compassion upon the sheep. 
or compassionate and saw them like sheep without a shepherd. So tenderhearted and compassion, they're very interchangeable. Uh, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that truly you are the lover of our soul. Thank you that you've called us here for this time, for this message. I thank you, God, that you called us to a church to be building blocks and to build something to preach your kingdom. Thank you for the honor that it is to serve you and worship you. God, I pray that every person in this room uh, is sensitive to what you're speaking to them through this section of scripture. And anoint me to speak it true. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. Uh, so I wrote a few things. I wrote, Paul continues to call the church to look like Jesus. He also continues to use negative and positive imagery. If you remember last, two weeks ago, uh, when we talked about uh, Paul talking about the bride, he actually used a negative example. He was like, he described something terrible, and he was like, and the bride's not like that, right? And so here, he actually kind of continues that. He continues saying, we shouldn't do this. We should do that. And so you'll notice that Paul gives a negative, a positive and then the reason for the difference in everything we just read. And so that's actually what my plan is for us to break down today, is we're going to hit each negative, meet it with the positive, and then pause long enough to say why God doesn't want this negative in our lives and why it's better to have the positive, because ultimately God wants what's best for his church. He is coming back for a bride who is spotless and without a wrinkle, right? Um, and something I've, I've said for years, we, we, we spend... Too much time looking at the world and being like, oh, Jesus must be coming back soon because look how the world is. It's like the church is a mess, right? So he's coming back for a spotless and without wrinkle bride. Not a, no. Do you remember the story of Jesus um, and he has a coin? He doesn't have a coin. Someone brings a coin. Someone tries to trap Jesus and they say, hey, uh, should we pay taxes? And then that's like the verse that every Christian in this room wishes that God answered differently. You know, <laughs> should we pay taxes? Nope. And it's like, yes. Uh, my religious rights, like, you know. <laughs> uh, but no, actually, uh, that is not what he said. Uh, he said, whose image is on this coin, right? And when they, when they hand him the coin, he looks at it and says, whose image on this? And they say, Caesar. And he says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. Right, and that's like, and then, and, and then the story just ends, and they move on, and it's really annoying because it's like you were supposed to ask another question, right? There was supposed to be more of the conversation. Like Jesus prepped this to turn into a sermon, and then no one took the bait, and so it's like, okay, I'm moving on to the next thing then, uh, and and that sucks because the next question is is like, give to God what is God's, who whose image is on me? right? Because it's an image conversation, right? Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Whose image is on you? God's. So when he's saying give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God, he says, yeah, pay your taxes and give yourself fully to the Lord. It's an identity thing. Do you recognize the image that is on you? Because that will actually dictate how you embrace uh, these moments where you recognize what is sin and what is not sin, what God wants in the church and what he doesn't want in the church. I know who I am and I know what I look like. James chapter one talks about people who read the perfect law of liberty and walk away forgetting what they look like. All right. So literally when you read the Bible, it's supposed to be a reflection of you. 
right? But we close it and we go back to our sin and our struggles because we forget who we are, right? And so I've always kind of used that to be like, you may have made a mess, but you're not a mess, right? Because you just forgot who you were for a second, all right? And so you kind of have these moments. I remember my father and I were at a uh, Roberto's and uh, someone else was there. I think they might be here. I don't remember who was there. Uh, and there was suddenly like a huge altercation out in the parking lot. Um, and my, my, my father uh, ran out because he can't help himself. And he got right in the middle of the altercation because he can't help himself. And when he was in the middle of the altercation, he looked at, at one of the guys who was young. The guy was wearing a cross. And the dude was like freaking out and screaming, threatening to beat someone up. And, and, and my dad looked at him and saw the other guy. And he, and he said, man, I got you forgot yourself. And literally, it was an old gentleman who was about to kill someone, a younger kid. And I just felt like the old guy was going to win. Literally stopped and went and sat down and started weeping. It was the craziest thing ever because it was just so, like, to the pierce. <laughs> Hi, pierce. Uh, <laughs> it pierced the heart. Hallelujah. Oh, man. What was I talking about? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and it was like this moment of, like, you're not this angry guy, but, but you, you just forgot who you were for a second. You slip back into something that's dead, right? You, you, you took off the garment. You put on something that's, that was dead. And Paul was dealing with that in the Ephesus church. Again, this is the Ephesus church. This is the church where Mary, the mother of Jesus, attends. This is where Timothy pastors, right? John the Revelator, the guy who rests on Jesus' bosom, is in this church. And it's like... And y'all forgot yourselves. <laughs> Until Paul writes a letter. So I'm going to ask a question, and then we're going to go through the five points, and that'll be the sermon. Sound good? The question is this. Are we making room for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness? That is my question, because that is what this section of Scripture is about. That's why it uses that phrase, every opportunity, right? What, what are you making an opportunity for in your life? Right? There, there are practical things in your life that your neighbor or someone who, it's just me and Jesus, those kind of people will call legalism. Uh, but those things would actually guard your heart in the things of the Lord. So the first thing we see in verse 25, and actually, if you could just pull these up as I'm hitting them, what you see in verse 25 is truth versus lies. So Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor. So the negative is falsehood. Truth is the positive. For we are members of one another is the reason. If you lie to your brother, you're essentially lying to yourself. Because we truly are one kingdom. Right? Okay. So we put away falsehood and embrace the truth. Falsehood destroys the image. But truth strengthens image. Right? Or as uh, Jesus... Um, Oh, my commentary said truth is conforming words to reality. That is definitely what speaking truth is. It's, it's forming words to reality. Right? And so if, if we have a healthy understanding of who we are, so you say, oh, I don't like that person. They're up. You know? Uh, it's totally true, though. Yeah, but not in the kingdom. Right? And so it's like speaking death over someone instead of speaking life maybe addressing, having tough conversations, because that's part of it. Um, but I think this one is one that we would all kind of agree on. L lying is wrong. And the reason why lying is wrong is because it creates divisions. 
If someone lies and tells five different stories and five different people have five different takes on one situation, there's no unity and there can't be cohesiveness. And truth be told, liars are always seeking to destroy, right? They're seeking to protect their own image at the cost of someone else's typically, right? There is no God, there is no love, and there is no truth to that, right? Now pause long enough to realize you've done it too. You'll probably do it again. And if I preach my sermon in a way you don't like, I'll probably be part of the conversation. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> right? But, but it, it's why it's important that Jesus Christ is truth. He wants truth in his bride. And so we do our best to speak truth when we can because we are members of one another. Ultimately, anything that causes disunity of the body does not belong in the body. And so own an uncomfortable truth rather than live in a lie. And I really think that today when we break into our little prayer things that we're, I want us to do to pray with one another, I think some people just need to be honest. I remember an old quote is, to be 99% known is to be unknown. But as long as we're hiding behind certain facades, we'll always be unknown. And you can't truly connect. So verse 26 to 27 uh, says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Go back to 26 DC. All right, ready? Righteous anger is proper, but sin never is. Anger that festers gives opportunity to the devil. Because this is what he's talking about. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give opportunity to the devil. What is the opportunity? That anger. You know, how often, oh man, I didn't mean to do that. Usually you're mad, right? How often do you do something you didn't mean to? And it's always predicated by anger. Uh, I was watching um, Pinocchio, right? Uh, Guillermo del Toro made a new version of Pinocchio. It's the best version, in my opinion. Really dark, though. So like, don't watch it unless you're in the mood for something really dark. Uh, but there's a scene in the movie where, where Geppetto looks to Pinocchio, and he says, you're being such a burden. And he gets mad, and he walks away. And then that night, Pinocchio's laying in bed, and, and Jiminy Cricket, they renamed him, but it's still Cricket. Uh, Jiminy Cricket, voiced by Obi-Wan Kenobi, he, 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 lays, he jumps next to Pinocchio, and he says, Pinocchio, what's wrong? And Pinocchio says, his nose didn't grow. So he's like, I, I really am a burden. Right? And, and Jiminy Cricket says to Pinocchio, he says, sometimes parents say things that they think they mean, and it's not until later they look back and realize they regret it. What a great life lesson in a Pinocchio movie. Letting anger dictate your words, your thoughts, or your action will always be the thing that leads to destruction in your life. So what is this be angry but do not sin? If anger is bad, why am I supposed to be angry but not sin? This is dealing with righteous anger. Right, so I wrote this down. Righteous anger is anger towards dishonor done to God. So if something upsets you because it disrespects God, that is a righteous and a, and a holy anger, right? But should it fester, even anger at something that is truly wrong can still produce sin in your life, which is why one of the ultimate um, 
characteristics of Christianity is forgiveness. Anger is always an opportunity to have conversations and to forgive. And that's not always easy. But it is biblical. So I want to read you two verses. And when you look at them separately, they're cool. And when you put them together, they're annoying. It's fantastic. Right? So this is Mark eleven twenty five and 26. says this. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone... So if I'm unforgiving towards someone, this verse is for me. So that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Yes, an unforgiving heart is actually proof that you're not walking in the forgiveness of God. Because those who are forgiven, their hearts change. We talked about that. Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out. And it leads us to the ability to forgive. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. The Bible says walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. But anyone who says, I have the right to be mad about this. Even if, listen, some of you have been through things I can't even fathom. From a biblical standpoint, we still have no right to that anger and unforgiveness. It's the point of the cross. Um, but if you do not forgive, neither will your father who is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Pause. I want to ask a question. Why do Christians pretend like this verse doesn't apply to them? Jesus said it. These are red letters. I mean, they're not. But they might be in your Bible. So what is it saying? If I don't have forgiveness towards someone, I need to forgive them. It puts the responsibility on me to forgive, not on them to seek forgiveness. Now hear me, there is a difference between forgiveness and allowing them back in to destroy your life again. Forgiveness is an internal thing. There are plenty of people I forgive, but you're not going to catch me texting them. Because I know real quick how that relationship's going to go, and then unforgiveness going to pop right back open again. <laughs> right? There is, the, there, see, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation is also the will of God. Let's go baby steps. Forgiveness is truly, forgiveness is when you stop having arguments with them in the shower. Right? Yeah, somebody, oh, wait a second, I haven't forgiven that person. You can say you forgive them. When you're driving in the car and you just like punch them or something in the face, <laughs> no, you've not. Oh, but the next verse is why it kind of gets a little annoying when you put them together. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Boom. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Pause. Here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying if you have unforgiveness towards someone, it's your responsibility to forgive them. And if you know someone has unforgiveness towards you, it's your responsibility to go seek reconciliation. When is it their responsibility? It never is. It's always yours. And if we all lived that way, again, what does that do to the body? The body stays perfect because we're seeking peace with one another. We stay healthy. There's no opportunity for the devil because there's not this rampant anger and unforgiveness just dominating our lives. And so it's anger versus forgiveness in verses 26 and 27. And this is the Andy Stanley quote. I've read it a few times. I would love to read it to you guys again. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like the decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. I'll read that one more time because it's that good. Um... In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like the decision to reward my enemy. 
But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. I think if Christians read through the Gospels and decided in their hearts, I'm going to take literally what Jesus says. I'm not going to try to explain why it doesn't apply to me. I think you would realize Christianity is a lot more different than we, than we tend to think it is when we're just walking around kind of with our own ideas about it, right? And I think this is one of those things. It's like whenever the topic of forgiveness comes up, it's, it can be so binding, which is exactly why Paul says it gives opportunity to the devil. Do not give the devil opportunity. So let me ask, are you making room for the devil or for God? Anger or forgiveness? And it's not, I'm angry, but I made room for God. It's not how it works. It's anger or forgiveness. Amen. All right, verse 28, consuming versus pouring out. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What is Paul dealing with? Paul was dealing with this constant, I'm taking and people who give. See, Paul, Paul's not even saying labor so that you have what you, so you don't need, want to steal anymore. It says labor so that instead of stealing, you can give. He's not even dealing with your own personal ability to take care of yourself. He's dealing with consuming versus pouring out, right? Uh, Christianity is fundamentally charitable. It calls us to walk and add to others. And so I wrote this down practically and spiritually. Practically, in all caps, get a job and provide. Give of yourself and add to others. It's in the Bible. It's a consistent theme of scripture. But what about my, just read the Bible and ask me what you feel God would be telling us to do. Right? Spiritually, a church is a group of people feeding and being fed by one another. Y'all seen Patch Adams? Y'all see that movie? Yeah, apparently Isaac has. Remember when they try to sue him and he goes to court and his whole thing is like, I never worked on a patient. A patient that was sick got healed and then they would heal the next person. The church. <laughs> Patch Adams. If you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. It's a mixture between fantastic and depressing. But so is life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> No, no, but, but there's a great analogy there, and Patch Adams was famously inspired by the Bible to do some of the stuff that he did. But I think it's, it's the concept, right? It's like this guy produced a hospital where the, inma the inmates, wow, the uh, patients, uh, sometimes it feels like you're an inmate, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the patients uh, would take care of one another. I heal in exchange for being healed. And the church should be the same way. Hear me, a constant need to consume but not give opens the door for the enemy. Hear me, here's why I say this. I, I know people, whenever the, the next big speaker comes into town, does, the, everyone will just flock to that person, get this fluffy, puffed up, like, oh man, I really feel like God really moved. And it's like, okay, so what happened? And it's like, oh, I fell on the floor. So what's gonna change? Nothing, right? Because change doesn't happen in one fluffy experience except for being filled with the Holy Spirit. Typically, typically change happens throughout a process of walking out your salvation through fear and trembling, right? Uh, People will sell you snake oil because you will give them money. They will use the name of Jesus. The Bible warns about it. Talks about the under shepherds. It's like, it's like these shepherds that were in it for dishonest gain. So the second wolves came, they left. 
Seek leaders and seek a church that will stand with you through troubling seasons, not one who walk away when things get rough. And I don't care how fluffy the messages are. Uh, they're, they're, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, he, he, he teaches a theology uh, that we taught for three weeks, and then I asked some questions during the, the Christmas service or the Christmas party, and some people didn't know the answer to him, and that kind of upset me. But it's okay. Uh, God is good. I will forgive uh, and not make room for the enemy. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but he talks about this doctrine of like the, like the Nephilim and like the, uh, uh, you know, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview and the counsel of God and all that crazy stuff. And, and honestly, I embrace a lot of it. I think most of it's true. Uh, but someone asked him, my church and my pastor does not believe this stuff. What should I do? Right? It was a, it was a Q&A that he did. And he asked the guy, he says, how's the community at that church? And he says, it's the best community I've ever been a part of. And he's like, then don't you dare leave. Right? He's like, I don't care if they don't teach what I believe. Because as long as it's still Jesus, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the community building it. Are you growing? Are you moving with the Lord? Are you pouring out and getting filled up, Patch Adam style? Right? Um, there was a... Um, a pretty big-named prophet, so I'll leave his name out of it because it's a really good story, and it ended really well. Uh, and a group of us went to go see him do his thing, and he got up, and he said some on-point prophecies, right? On-point. It was kind of scary, right? But then when he got up and preached a sermon, it was like, this isn't in the Bible. It was the craziest scenario I've ever been a part of because, like, you are clearly gifted of the Lord. Clearly God is speaking through you. But then you, you start to teach. It's like you don't know your word, right? It was the, the, one of the craziest experiences that I ever experienced. And, and I never didn't see him again for several years and listen to his stuff. I was like, I'm not, I'm not about this guy, right? And then several years later, a friend of mine invited him to speak at his church. And so I was like, I need to go again. It's been a lot of years. And, you know, I was going through some stuff at that time anyway. Maybe I kind of misjudged him. Right? And so I went and I sat down, the same speaker doing his same prophetic thing that he always does, and he began to preach one of the most profound messages I've ever heard in my life. Still sticks with me to this day, and I'll quote him a lot of times let you knowing that I quoted it. Because I always tell people once, and afterwards I take credit. Um, and uh, after the, the service, I felt, I felt so convicted. And so I walked up to him, and I just told him, I was like, man, I didn't like you. Well, not a you thing. I had nothing really against you as a person, but I, I didn't like what you taught. It was so unbiblical. And then he looked at me and he said, he goes, yeah, that's back when I was a traveling prophet. He goes, it's easy to get away with not really knowing the Lord. And I was like, he's like, I, I planted a church four years ago. And he's like, and actually having to be with the same people consistently, he goes, it forced me into knowing God in a way that I never would have otherwise. Right? And it's because, again, there is pouring out and if you're just here to receive and receive and receive, if there doesn't shift into the place where I'm blessing the place that I'm a part of, you eventually just become a parasite. And I don't mean that in a negative or a terrible way because we honestly all have to go through seasons where we are too weak to give anything. But if that was 10 years ago, it's not healthy for you. We need to buckle down and build something as a community. And that last church hurt us. I'm sure it did. But to be honest, I'm sure we hurt those people just as much. 
right? Yeah, I know. Hopefully next week's message is better. Actually, it will be. It's a Christmas message. Jesus is here. Um, woohoo! You know what I'm saying? Um, four, a corrupted versus holy lips. All right, this is the one I'm working on. My wife slapped me last night because I'm about to preach on this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right, uh, verse 29 to 30. And we're all full short of the glory of God. Fantastic. Okay, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And all God's people said. But only such as is good for building up as the opportunity, or as fits the occasion. I just made up a word. I added it. Uh, As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What What is grieving the Holy Spirit? The way they talked. That sucks. (laughs) The the way they gossiped. The way they cursed. Cursing is not a sin. It absolutely is. Paul repented for it in the Bible at one point, but that's not important. Um, The way they talked to one another, the way they talked down to people. Heck, the way they talked to their spouse. The, The venom that they dripped onto their children. It grieved the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because Jesus said what comes out is from what's on the inside. And so in order to say that, you had to bypass the Holy Spirit that was in you and literally cough something else up. Some scriptures would call that stumbling over the body of Christ. It's also in the Bible. All right? Corrupt talk tears down and desensitizes the body. This grieves the Spirit. Many things people will look and be like, oh, they're just legalistic. It's like, no, you're probably just desensitized. Right? And some people are legalistic. That is a fact. <laughs> right? And they're desensitized to their own structures and rules. And they're desensitized to the, the fact that their hearts are hardened and that they don't weep in his presence. Right? We all got our thing. We all got our struggle. But right now we're talking about corrupted talk. Um, holy lips build up and encourage the body as fits the occasion. Right? Um, And listen, sometimes building up comes in the form of a hammer. And sometimes building up comes in the form of being sweet with someone. The truth is there is no right or wrong answer. It is what does that person need? So what does that mean? That means I have to get to know people enough to know how I can help them. So if you don't ever talk to someone, but you show up just in time to correct them, you're not even united with them. Like, what are, you, what are you bringing? You don't even know what they need because you haven't taken the time to learn. Right? Again, God calls us to be a body and make no opportunity for the devil. Like going up and checking someone you have no relationship with, trust me, you just made opportunity for the devil. You didn't care enough to love them in dark seasons. You don't care enough to correct them. And it's not about caring. It's probably about legalism. You do something I don't like, so I got to check you. Does that make sense, though? We want to speak love, and we want to speak life. Yeah, the, the Bible talks about, you know, uh, you shouldn't make dirty jokes. That's also in Ephesians. We will get there. You shouldn't curse. That's also in Ephesians. <laughs> we shouldn't get there, right? We shouldn't speak down or speak negatively, too. 
And I know, again, it sucks, but it's like you don't realize. Like, I made an offhanded comment to someone very recently, which ended up in like an hour-long discussion of how I, I hurt their feelings. Right? And it's like, I should have been more careful. That's my fault. Right? So what do you do? You own it, and you do better. And me and that person will probably have conversations again because I'm trying to do better. Uh, I want to be like a Paul when I read the Bible, right? Paul, it's like, oh, the anointed one of God. He wrote the two-thirds of the New Testament. He's out preaching the gospel. And then I read Peter, and I'm like, oh, man, that's me. That's the guy. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I just really connect with Paul. It's like, yeah, it's because you're trying to run from Peter. Um, but Jesus. I say but Jesus, but I still know what all my shoes taste like. Uh, so much foot and mouth. <laughs> All right. So again, you're going to fall short. Maybe I'm just being really nice on this one because this is the one I'm really bad at. <laughs> you know how many times after a sermon, Pastor Thomas has been like, you shouldn't say that again. I was like, okay. I repent. But I'm going to be better. Hallelujah. Because I, I do, I'm not making room for nothing. But God. We'll find out. Chapter, uh, my last point, sorry that we took the long way around, but again, this is kind of like one of those like, yeah, next week will be better. As we go through Ephesians, it gets more exciting. But this is literally where Paul like stopped and he's like, here's all the things you guys suck at. So it's just like, we're just in that section where Paul's like, hey, here's the things you guys suck at. Let's talk about them. Uh, so next in chapter five, it's, it, it goes back to marriage and unity and stuff. So we're gonna have a great time. Uh, if it's your first time, so, sorry. I want to say it's not usually like this, but sometimes it is. Uh, all right, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Hey, be kind to one another. Hey, be kind to one another. It's one of the core values of our church. Kindness. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God forgave you. So this is where Paul is dealing with vices versus virtues. There, he names six vices, six things. Go back one. Uh, six things that bind us and need to be put away from us, right? There is bitterness. I don't know. I feel like I run into bitterness a lot. There's a specific group I, I, I'll deal with. I have friends and stuff, but I just see a lot of bitterness. The people who are like, oh, we, we don't go to a church anymore because we've been hurt too much. That's a nice way of saying I'm bitter. Right? Because, again, it puts it on them instead of me having to own my part of bitterness that I have to forgive. Right? And I've found in the crowd of people that are like, yeah, we don't need the church. There's just a lot of bitterness and hurt, which, again, is like as a church, be kind to one another. We don't want to produce that bitterness. But also, we have to be forgiving because I'm going to do something and everyone around you at some point will do something to give you that bitterness if you make room for it. That's why we talk. Hey, that really offended me. And when someone tells you that, well, it shouldn't have offended you. No, I'm sorry. Wrath. That is just rage. You ever get rage? It's a sin. It's a vice. It is a vice that will dominate your life. That's funny, like three of my pastors were like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what are you angry, church? Uh, 
<laughs> See, that was, that was number four. Corrupted versus holy lips. I'm going to come back. All right. Um, anger. What's the difference between rage and anger? Honestly, I, I should have looked that up because I didn't. Um, clamor, which is fighting, which seems like more anger. Uh, slander, which is gossip. Crazy, bitterness, anger, fighting, rage, and talking bad. You see how they're equated? Like it's a vice that will destroy and dominate. Quit talking about people. A good rule of thumb is if they're not there, don't talk about them. It's a good rule of thumb. If you're saying something real positive, that's fine. Isn't it nice when you find out someone was talking about you and it's like really positive? Isn't that great? I wouldn't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, and the last one is malice, which is like more anger. <laughs> like, don't be angry. Stop being angry. Don't act on your anger. Don't feel your anger. Don't let your head swell up. Don't be angry. And don't gossip. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, bitterness, rage, anger, fighting, gossip, and malice. These are vices that will control you. And Paul responds with three virtues, saying that if we do these three things, Bitterness, rage, anger, fighting, gossip, and malice will truly leave our lives. And the three things are kindness, compassion, or tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Now, we talked about forgiveness in length, so I will touch that briefly, but I do want to hit the other two since we're already in the middle of this, like, really heady kind of message. Uh, let's, let's just pause and talk about these three topics because they're worthy of discussion. Kindness is defined as this. What is suitable or fitting for a need. That is what uh, that kindness word means in the Greek, right? And so literally Paul is saying to, to be kind and to do what is suitable or fitting for a need, right? And so it's an outward expression of a positive thing, right? This person needs a hug, so I'm gonna give it to them. This person needs a talking to, so I'm gonna give it to them. This person, they're just down on their luck. I'm gonna take them out for a meal. This person's lonely. I'm just gonna invite them over to my house. It's kindness. It's what is this person needing and kindness is the outward action of fulfilling it right kindness the next is compassion it is inner emotions of affection it has nothing to do with your action it is it, it is how you feel towards the situation just because you act kind to someone it doesn't mean that you're compassionate right and just because you're compassionate doesn't mean that you're acting kind yeah you know, i can't tell you how many times i had the best intentions and did something stupid i was compassionate but i wasn't kind right um, and then forgiveness, this is actually, it means, it literally means to be gracious. This particular section does. And it's from the root word to give freely. So literally that word forgive means to freely give grace. So it's, it's my outward actions towards people. It's my inner feelings towards people. Times two, really. Maybe my, my mental thoughts towards someone. Um, because think about it, you're not going to punch someone if you're being kind to them, or else it won't be kind anymore. You're not going to be angry towards someone if you have compassion for them, or else it's not compassion anymore. And you're not going to be bitter towards someone you've forgiven. I think if, if you say, I forgive someone, you still have anger towards them, it, it could explain a lot about why we struggle with God's forgiveness towards us. Because we feel like we feel like forgiveness comes with, but there's still a 
buried unforgiveness there. And so we feel like maybe God's mad at us because the people we've quote unquote forgiven, we're still mad at, right? This stuff bleeds into the church. It impacts how we see one another. It impacts how we see the Bible. It impacts our secret place and our time alone with him. And it is not worthy of the church. If you struggle with any of those things, Patch Adams, we all do too. So we pray with one another, we walk with one another, we fall short with one another, we celebrate with one another, and God gets the glory in the end. A healthy, powerful body makes room only for God. And I pray that at Boulevard Church, we would be a healthy and powerful church. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, help us to just look like you. God, I thank you that what would be impossible in our own power is so possible because we are filled with your Holy Spirit. God, teach us to forgive. Teach us to not be angry. Teach us to speak well. Teach us to love you like you deserve. I thank you that you died for us. I thank you that you give us the same opportunity to die for others. And I pray for anyone in this room that maybe got hit with something in particular, felt, no, that unforgiveness thing was for me. Whatever it was that really stood out to them, God, I pray that they wouldn't fall into condemnation, feeling less than for falling short. We would fall into conviction. God, knowing that just because we've fallen short, it does not mean that you don't love us. It does not mean that you don't call us. Thank you for the opportunities to rise again. You know, the righteous man falls seven times, but gets up every time. Give us the grace to get back up. In Jesus' name I say, amen.